For this edition, we are going to uh, feature more of a discussion rather than an interview between myself and a collaborator named Rishi, who is also American from the rave scene in San Francisco, but currently living in, um, in New York City. And we recently delivered a panel discussion at an event called Hancho Campout um, about queer utopic dance floors. And we brought to the table all different topics, such as um, what it means to be queer inside a rave, what a queer rave is, what a safer space is, and safer space practices.
I'm Rachel Noon from New York City. I consider myself to be a lifetime raver. And recently in the last couple of years in the uh, Brooklyn underground um, queer community, I've really come to find a home, one that's like beyond important to me. Like I really can't imagine living without it right now. And with that said, I've also begun to reflect a lot on why that's the case and also how I can participate to keep it as special as it feels right now and as important to me and to others and like what I can do to sort of make sure that we care for something that's really, really important for so many people. Um, So I talk to my friends a lot about this topic, one of them being the amazing Rishi, who I'm talking with today. Um, And we just naturally, like super organically, always talk about what it's like to be part of the scene and brainstorm ways that we can help make it better. And it feels like it's on a really good track, but that also there's a lot of work to be done. So I guess I'm coming from a standpoint of like uh, rave criticality and investment in the queer experience. Yeah. Uh, as Rachel said, I'm Rishi and uh, my background is um, sort of like I was a, I was a door person for raves for about seven years and got my perspective through that. But um, sort of queerness to me is a, it's a survival mechanism and the rave is one way that we thrive as a community. Um, and the reason why I stay invested in this is so, you know, I can sort of um, help my community nurture it and create spaces where we can express ourselves and, you know, sort of come to um, new forms of being together. Um, in San Francisco. So that, that's where I'm from. So I worked um, at clubs all around the city and worked door for Honey Sound System for like about five years and um, sort of like helped with all the sort of like decorations for a rave, like getting rental equipment, um, all those operations sort of to make things happen. So that that's sort of my background, which you also have done a lot of too, in, in addition to being a DJ. I've had some experience in production, working a door, which I'm sure everyone that's been to a party can understand that it's a complex task. Having worked door for you, New York is a different beast and the sort of challenges that you face with having so many more people attend your events. So many different types of people and people with really strong convictions about where they, you know, where they belong and where they think they belong in. Um, and, and protecting the people, though, that, you know, that's like sort of like the essence of that job is sort of like making sure yeah. I, I, I oftentimes I get into conflicts with people about like, you know, having like um, being strict at the door. But it, it's, it's like when you understand the intention and how important that is just in light of, you know, attacks on a club like that have happened recently, it just sort of no one's going to do a perfect job of it, but we just have to do our best. And respect the people that are working an event and let them do their job. As a dancer, that's really important to know too. I think that's a message that needs to just be repeated over and over. And we'll get we'll get into that a little bit more in this talk too. For sure, yeah. I think naturally it would be like impossible to avoid that. Um, so let's start with our little glossary of terms. Um, so just, just so we're all on the same page. Yeah, and this is what by no means like uh, it's just how we perceive these these phrases that are thrown exactly. around and how it's we not like it. an exhaustive academic truth. So queer was the first one, and um, it's a sensibility and political praxis relies on the the notion of encouraging different sexual and gender identities apart from a fixed requisite cisgender heterosexuality. So that just means that you know if you're not cis and straight, you got your um, identity is still valued and um, celebrated in these spaces. Mm-hmm. The next term is rave, and that's a gathering of friends, lovers, strangers, dancers, volunteers, DJs around Renegade Sound System, or sometimes just a club system that requires an exchange <laughs> of ecstatic energy to really go off. So difficult to define something that's like such a central part of your life. Like, I take it for granted, so I don't really know how to look at it that from a distance. It's so fluid, too. Mm-hmm. Like, what constitutes a rave, I think, is so... It's so much of an energy, mm-hmm. too. 
you know, things can be ravey or rave-like. Yeah. <laughs> like inside other spaces, like you could have like a sub-rave inside a non-rave. Awesome. <laughs> no, I've seen you turn a club that wasn't a rave into a huge rave. A ravey moment. Yes. A ravey hairstyle. <laughs> Let's have a, a ravey dinner. Oh, I love that. <laughs> oh, wait, no, there's two more. Utopia, an ideal world where all of our identities are supported and everyone is valued. And that's a goal that is always out of reach, but that we strive towards. And the last one, which is the most important, is feminism. Feminism, <laughs> which is what, no, uh, what did we grant? It, it was just simply equality. That's, that's it. it. Yeah, that's all. That's all yeah. it is. People need to get that like feminism primer like everywhere. I just wish like like news stations would just like broadcast that it's just simply equality.
this the, the late Jose Munoz. Uh, he passed away a few years back, but used to teach performance studies at NYU. He's um, Cuban-American and um, just sort of like a, a huge inspiration to me as a queer scholar of color. And um, his text that I've been reading is called uh, Cruising Utopia, The Then and There of Queer Futurity. Oh, 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 this was published in 2009. Had a, a sort of a, an entire like theoretical field that he was working on that I think um, scholars are still taking from every day and benefiting from. Sort of like supporting a new theory of a queer world to come. And um, yeah, uh, do you want me to start with this first quote, Feeling Utopia? And uh, there's a quote from Oscar Wilde that uh, begins it. It's, a map of the world that does not include utopia is not worth glancing at. Queerness is not yet here. Queerness is an ideality. Put another way, we are not yet queer. We may never touch queerness, but we can feel it as the warm illumination of a horizon imbued with potentiality. We have never been queer. Yet queerness exists for us as an ideality that can be distilled from the past and used to imagine a future. The future is queerness's domain. End quote. And I like that, um, that you know, the past has these hints of, of like what queerness is, but we're still not there. It just shows that, you know, you have to know where you've been to know where you're going. The sort of struggles that queer communities have endured and persevered through shape this future and yet to come but we can't ever forget that it's interesting to reflect back like when you first read that out loud to me i think i made you repeat it a few times and it was just that last sentence that just resonated so strongly oh we have never been queer yet queerness exists for us as an ideology that can be distilled from the past and used to imagine the future the future is queerness's domain yeah i think i think that's very inspiring for me because um it's basically a recognition that there's so much work to be done. So I feel like compelled to keep doing whatever it is I'm doing and thinking and t- thinking and talking and participating. Like we, we can't, we can't be satisfied with, you know, like just easy successes until we're all free, which we're just not there yet. It's reminding me of someone in Copenhagen. I spoke to like, I've spoken to a bunch of ravers in Copenhagen about their idea of, their ideas are around this topic. And one of them said, I have this, I have this quote right in front of me, actually. One of them said, the queer rave is a way for individuals to ecstatically confirm a collective agency and solidarity based in difference and a way for this community to bend towards each other and themselves in an otherwise straight world. Folks around the world are thinking, thinking along these similar lines, which I think is so fascinating and so special. I love that, that you get um, to build these relationships, you know, like as like you travel around for your, your work in music, but like building those bridges is so beautiful. And, um, and also doing the interview series, like I get to speak to people that share their stories and sort of like where they're at along this continuum. Yeah. The home is like inside the spirit of it. And that's a big thing about like, um, just, you know, like raving as much as it is about supporting your local scene. It's also that we get to like, like some of us who have the means, we are able to travel the world and sort of discover entire, like, you know, entirely different communities and kind of, it makes the world smaller in a beautiful way that yes, we we live in a, you know, pretty terrible patriarchal hellscape currently, <laughs> but we, these like these bonds really do matter and they really do help us thrive. The fact that, you know, that you can share this with people halfway across the world.
Rishi, what was it like to to present these ideas to the audience at Hancho Cancel? So that uh, before we had our talk, we like just like planning that with you was so much fun because it was just a really good hangout, <laughs> <laughs> and we were sort of continuing the you know, conversations that you and I have had, but just bringing that to a larger audience. And though I was extremely shaky voiced and so nervous, I thought it was really special that like uh, I think we got a lot out and got to. We took it in uh, a direction specific to the campout itself and sort of how people treating the space and viewing the event. And I think that was sort of intentional on um, on Hancho's part in getting us to have that lecture was to sort of like set the tone for the weekend. That was both yeah. of our first times then because... Um, I, I just knew way too many people that were there just like from my work with Honey. So... It was at least it was on familiar, familiar faces everywhere. So that that was. Yeah, you were. Yeah, you were yeah. joining your family, and I felt like I was definitely, joining my family definitely. too. No, and I love that the rave family across the United States is so strong, and even internationally. I mean, there were people from Berlin and Mexico that I met. So it was cool to see that. I but I mean, as as we talked about in our talk, though, um, there definitely needs to be more just non men at events like that to you know just and not just people that are booked as artists but you know the community members volunteers the attendees have to look like reflect the diversity of our queer community 
And I think that, that and I think that will happen. Yeah. And I guess maybe it's worthwhile to just share a little bit about what Honcho is and what Honcho Campout is. Probably most people that are listening Let's don't even know what it is. Assume. I would describe um, it as sort of like a, like a yearly gathering, usually in, um, oh, it's been in Pennsylvania for the past two years, but before it was in Virginia. And um, outdoors, outdoors in the woods under the stars. And um, it's sort of like, it's, it's a, a very, all these stages are built by hand. It's not stay on like a um, like camping resort type venue. So it's a lot of just volunteer effort to um, make each sort of um, stage and rest area, all these things happen. It's a lot of volunteer effort, but um, it's, and it's about six days, which is really long for any camp out experience, but I like to do that. And just even to back up a little bit further, Honcho is a crew from Pittsburgh. Um, and like. So Hot Mass is the venue site, and then there are different promoters that come in and take over the space every Friday and Saturday. Honcho is one of the one of the crews that throws a party inside Hot Mass. Up until is it three years ago? It was men only. Yep, exactly, and that's extremely important to note. You know, many people voiced me included, like just voiced our general discomfort with that and how that's not reflective of our queer community and it's not necessarily my idea of utopia, a cis man-only space. And I'm glad that they have learned from their mistakes and have opened that up, but that was a huge, you know, uh, a huge conversation that had to be had and um, people had to be convinced of it because cis men are still, you know, products of being raised a cis man, but we're still products of patriarchy having your spaces just for ourselves maybe made sense 40 years ago, but definitely not now. Now I think there's a really impressive push on the part of the honcho crew. Yes. There's such um, a concerted effort. Yeah. Especially, I mean, even just looking at their lineup now, and it was it's all pretty new acts, People that had not played honcho before. I think people are so scared to do because, you know, you're literally telling the people that, have been before that you trust are going to come again, that this year is going to be different. And you, you just pray that, I mean, I imagine they just, you know, you pray that the trust has been built and it's, and it's, it's there and they're just going to be down and I for think that. that. The honcho community is so close knit that they just, you know, that the attendees really do believe in the bookings, like even if they're not familiar. So it was, it was a magical, magical event. While it has things that it can improve on, we still enjoyed ourselves and, you know, had a really great time. Yeah, and one thing that I'm so grateful for is that of the three panel discussions on days one, two, and three of the festival, ours was, ours was day one. And I think that was important for me, well, just <laughs> to kind of get it out of the way because I was so nervous about it. No, but truly, the the real reason is because I think our, the conversation that we wanted to incite was just like a really general overview of our wishes and dreams and, you know, just share that with people and hope that they're on board and that they can, they have some takeaways and additions to what we thought would be really important to carry out over the course of the next couple of days. Um, so I think like our general, our general topics to set those up in the beginning as things to be mindful of throughout the rest of the weekend. I think that was like really special. I think that was like a really nice Definitely, opportunity. Definitely, no, because we're both just like idealistic ravers and to be able to just have that sincere sharing was really special. Like we're not experts on anything, but I just think that having that conversation, you know, it, it made us meet so many new people and also kind of um, bring this vision to a bigger audience. And one thing that was so fun to share with people was, and we talked about this a lot beforehand when we were preparing, but it was this idea that we're all the engineers of the rave spaces that we're accountable to one another as dancers, as organizers, as participants. They're just like watching out for one another.
uh, four, yeah, four, four quarters, quarters interfaith long. sanctuary. So it, it was sort of like the like a really cool interfaith. Like they had programming where they honor indigenous traditions and traditions from all over the world. But uh, and and that land actually, I like um, I was just remembering um, Marky Bishka's talk. It, it belongs to the Shawnee people. And so it's just really important to say that, you know, as the ravers, we need to know that who are the stewards of the land that we're raving on, um, talking about social issues. And I'll read this passage first. Uh, the here and now, oh wait, queerness is a structuring and educated mode of desiring that allows us to see and feel beyond the quagmire of the present. The here and now is a prison house. We must strive in the face of here and now's totalizing rendering of reality to think and feel a then and there. Some will say that all we have are the pleasures of, the, of this moment, but we must never settle for that minimal transport. We must dream and enact new and better pleasures, other ways of being in the world, and ultimately new worlds. That was just sort of, I didn't see that quote as abstract at all, just because the United States incarcerates more human beings than any other nation in the world. And um, so that prison house is very much real and that disproportionately affects black and Latino people. And it is a, you know, one of the biggest wounds in the world right now. And that's a queer issue. You know, that's like how many trans women of color are imprisoned. You know, those, those statistics are just nightmarish and the abuse that, queer people face at the hands of the police. So that is, that is just one of the biggest things that our utopia has to, you know, strive to be conscious and um, sort of don't put queer people at risk when you're even throwing events and raves. Sometimes it's better to not call the police and to, you know, have a system of accountability with your rave community rather than put people at risk for violence. And then the last quote um, from the introduction that I had was this. Queerness is a longing that propels us onward beyond romances of the negative and toiling in the present. Queerness is that thing that lets us feel that this world is not enough, that indeed something is missing. Often we can glimpse the worlds proposed and promised by queerness in the realm of the aesthetic. The aesthetic, especially the queer aesthetic, frequently contains blueprints and schemata for a forward-facing, dawning futurity. I didn't um, mention that in the talk, but I, I underlined it yesterday because <laughs> I loved it, just because I feel like both of us, I mean, you, you never let go of the aesthetic as a queer person. <laughs> I know, whether you, whether you want to be like that or not. And it's sort of like one of the, one of the ways that um, we clamor for freedom, though, is sort of our oppositional aesthetics. Yeah, it's a language that um, we have to take it. We have to use. I'm trying to think. What are the things we touched on, or what were some of the things that people brought to the table? Like, we touched on a lot of like just like party safety and like watching out for people. So, like, um, like one thing I said is that just like uh, queer communities that are like, populated with just uh, like a lot of cis men have, you know a sort of shadiness that if you see someone really fucked up, you won't help, but you'll just sort of make fun of it or laugh it off. Be like, so-and-so is so messy. But that's one of the things in our culture that I think that we, cis men just really need to change. And sort of how, how do we take care of one another beyond, um, you know, beyond projecting the poison that's been foisted on us from outside? No, we talked. We talked a lot about the language yes, of yes, safer yes. space. Yeah, because this is an issue that um, a lot of folks have been concerning themselves with lately, like in a in a really in a really great participatory way, and that is this idea that a safe space does not exist. So, what language do we use to um, acknowledge what we're really after? We're after safer spaces. Um, and then someone, I think this person was from Chicago, the person that um, brought this term up was Brave Space, which, yeah, I thought that was really special. And I've actually heard it a few times since then. And this is now, what, like 
a month and a half later, um, uh, people using the term brave space and this idea that a lot of people inside these spaces that we're talking about have let their guard down. And that's something that we really need to care for. And, you know, there's like a level of bravery, um, basically for anyone who's other than a cis white man. Stick our necks out for each other. Has to be on some level brave to, to participate and to just be in the world in the way that makes them feel comfortable and feel happy and proud and like feels right to them. So that was interesting in the use of um, the use of safer space practices language in things like promoting parties. And I've actually um, gotten some messages from people after Honcho inquiring about how to start something like that. Like how, if you don't have a, if you don't have a community already built, how do you tell people um, about the safer space that you want to create for them if the trust isn't already there? Like, how do you just literally start doing it? You know, it hinges so much on having the, the people be on boards, but it's like, how do you get them to the first thing if they're not on board? That's you know? the first battle. That's the first battle, and it's a huge one. Yeah. But it's so cool to think that there are people in places that were listening to the talk that are from places that um, don't have these communities yet, or they're, you know, the people are dispersed and they haven't connected yet. And that, yeah, and that some people want to kind of like spearhead, mm-hmm. spearhead admission. Like in, in rural communities, from the places where you can't be visible for safety reasons, that's so huge. And that the raving is, you know, all the more like a tool of survival and, and meeting people, just just basic connection.
history of bathhouse culture and how um, classically, so racism still operated in the bathhouses that, you know, hierarchies were always in place about, you know, zero status and such during the um, years of, or the, the worst years of the AIDS crisis. But sort of just that um, honcho, especially as a very sexually charged space, people still have to um, be aware of that. Like sexual spaces are still subject to the same types of hierarchies. And many people um, sometimes don't want to necessarily engage in that way. And just like understanding consent is more than, you know, like a buzzword that's popular. It really is like a way in which that like we are, you know, are an empathetic community. Another, yeah, and I think that led us into the conversation of dark rooms. And I know a lot of people were curious about um, dark rooms. Okay, so dark rooms originated in like gay male spaces. And I know a lot of people were curious to hear because I've been talking to these crews and talking to them about, about their spaces and, you know, about their dark rooms and do they have dark rooms and you know, still don't have a totally clear answer to this, but I think basically when I talk to folks about it, I'm, and I'm specifically thinking of this crew from Lisbon that I spoke to named Mina, um, and they were talking about their darkroom spaces. And I think we're just beginning to crack the surface of how that all is going to go down because I think it's, it's so new to a lot of people, especially the non, the non male identifying queers. I think for a lot, it's still uncharted territory, you know, like seasoned ravers, people with really strong queer roots in these types of spaces are still not entirely trusting of dark rooms and don't really know what to expect when they go into dark rooms. And I think it's a huge task, especially for promoters. Like this is almost like un an unbelievable task. I like that they have. someone that like I've had like a lot of like I've had like sexual trauma. So dark rooms are not necessarily places that I feel most safe. I think that's like what um, there's definitely many queer people that you know love the rave, but that is not dark rooms are not necessarily how they want to engage. And I still believe that there needs to be space for that, but there, it has to be a conversation. And it's not like this. It's not like this thing where the dark room is like the ultimate queer space. I mean, for a lot of people, it's absolutely not that. And it's also like the dark room of the future. Like, is it just going to be cis men? Like, are non-male and identifying people like, you know, also going to take part in this and enjoy it? And I think that's that needs to be like a, a big community discussion. Right. Or is the dark room yeah. of the future Can just that the rave? Be expressed the rave in different itself? ways or more yeah. openly. Yeah. Is is dark is is a dark room a necessity? Yeah, that was a really nice moment in the talk when we were trying to figure out how to even talk yeah, because about this groups. is like pretty uncharted territory like we have these structures and but we, and we have these communities i'm saying like, like cis gay men that are mostly hanging around other cis gay men and then queer kids non-binary kids and there's not that much mixing in between and i think that's one that our, our talk highlighted when all those people are in one space and they're all meant to be sharing a dark room like why haven't we actually addressed that like why just assume that like that's going to be very easy for people and you know i think that yeah we have some steps to take there as communities to, to build the bridges I'm about to get this work. 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 Hubs. 
store I'm breaking it back so he can do it up I'm a fucking hustler, homie, you know that's real as fuck Then you walk up to my homie, you need to spit it up I take credit, I ain't sharing, you lame starin' I ain't caring, you fucking losers bearing Nigga, I'm selling you little niggas is bumming My niggas spinning, he coming, I'm fucking with it and fucking running These beats, these trees, these sheets, kiss the ski He said he love me, I said he bunny He said he want me, damn, I took his money Niggas better learn how this game code Now I ain't really fucking with the change hoe The man will call my nigga with the game code Now I'm put a motherfucking bullet in your vein go, 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 go. I'm about to get this work. I'm about to get this money. I'm about to get this work. Who these niggas acting funny? Here we go again. Here we go again. If I shop, I drop, nigga, you heard me If I pop, I lock, I don't give a fuck, I'm steady If I rock, you block, I don't give a fuck, it's getty If the shot is hot, I don't give a fuck, I'm ready I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready Let's <laughs> go. 